0: Now she's really getting mad because I'm going to say, Sharon was out just, you know, what are you, walking some dogs or walking. Oh, no, Sharon, I'm going, in. she fell. I think she broke her kneecap, and so she's got quite the injury over there. So let's make sure we lift her up, make sure we call her, make sure we see how she's doing because she loves that. She loves it. So that's that was really my fault for forgetting that because I, Jim is yeah. taking good care of her. Jim's taking good care of her. <laughs> that's why we need to pray for Sharon. <laughs> we need to. Really remember her, if Jim's taking care of her. <laughs> they, uh, there was a preacher um, who was doing like a conference, and uh, he was visiting an area, and he, uh, he gave the first sermon, and uh, a man with like a yellow plaid jacket had come up to him after the message and said, too loud, too loud. Your message was Too loud. Just walked away, and the guy was like, "Okay, whatever." And um, he gave his second message in that series uh, that weekend. Same man, yellow plaid jacket coming up. Too long, too long. The message was too long. He said, "Thank you." <laughs> the man walked away. He gave his third message that weekend, and the same man came up to him again. Too deep, too deep. Your message is too deep. At this point, he was just he couldn't contain himself. He went over to the elders there and he said, "Hey, listen, what's up with the guy with the yellow plaid jacket?" They said, "Oh, don't mind him. He just repeats what everybody else says." So, um, so we're gonna hope this morning that this message is not too loud, too long, or too deep uh, this morning. <laughs> there was a man. He approached a little league baseball game one afternoon. And he asked the boy in the dugout what the score was. The boy responded, 18 to nothing. We're behind. Boy, said the spectator, I'll bet you're discouraged. Why should I be discouraged, replied the little boy. We haven't even got up to bat yet. (laughs) I'm hoping I'm going to try my best. As I've been meditating and, and reading and studying this portion, I've been so encouraged but I feel like, um, and we said the, the, the spirit of God will uh, will allow him to, to do this. But it's funny, is I, I I'm just trying to trying to share with you how this portion makes me feel, and I can't do it. And it's interesting because the Lord brought me to First Peter, chapter three, where Peter says this joy is inexpressible. And so I'm going to try my best to actually express something that the Bible says is inexpressible. You, you can't do it. This joy that we have as believers. Um, well, let's read it together uh, here. I know I read it already this morning. Uh, just a tremendous portion. Again, just remember where we're at. We're, we're on our way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, the disciples are tired. They've heard a lot of things told them by the Lord Jesus. And uh, it's just a few short hours now. A few short hours before... Um, their lives are going to change. Um, and here we have the Lord Jesus again in just a few short hours. He's going to be betrayed and arrested and scourged and crucified. And and here's what he shares with his loved ones. In verse 16, he says, a little while you will not see me. And again, a little while you will see me because I go to the Father. And then some of his disciples said among themselves, what is this he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while you will see me because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, what is this that he says? A little while, we do not know. We do not understand what he is saying. Now, Jesus, he knew that they desired to ask him. And he, and he said to them, are, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while and you will... Not see me, and again a little while you will see me. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come, but as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. The Lord blesses the reading of his word. Um, Our Father in heaven, we, again, are so grateful for the joy that we have through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We just... uh, pray again that that, uh, your word would encourage our hearts this morning as we um, try to express something that your word tells us is inexpressible, but it's something that has been given to us, something that we can experience, that we're so thankful for. So we just, uh, again, commit this time to you in Jesus' name, amen. Now, while any kind of suffering Right is emotionally painful, and here in this context, specifically, we're talking about a great loss. Hey, they're going to lose Jesus. They're going to watch him die. Hey, um, it's crucial that we learn how to work through it biblically, right? Because we're all going to face it. Peter, right in First Peter, chapter five, verses eight and nine, he indicates that it is precisely in times of suffering that the devil seeks to destroy our faith. Many believers have struggled spiritually because they didn't know how to face suffering biblically. For example, some have thought that because they believe in Jesus, he will protect them from major suffering. But when tragedy hits, they feel that God has abandoned them. Others have been taught to claim healing by faith. When that doesn't work, they are told that they didn't have enough faith. Others are under the impression that it's, that you're not spiritual if you grieve or cry. So they try to smile and praise the Lord around other Christians. But they're dying inside. In John 16 here, Jesus is preparing his disciples for the overwhelming sorrow that they are going to experience in the next few hours. As they watch him be arrested, mocked, scourged, and crucified. Their world is going to come crashing down around them. They had put their hopes and they had staked their futures on the belief that Jesus was the promised Messiah of Israel. Remember the previous Sunday, right? Their hopes were high as Jesus rode into Jerusalem to the hosannas of the crowd. But now everything that they had hoped for would come to a sudden, shocking end. As they watch the Lord suffer and die. And here I believe Jesus, in these words, is preparing them for the suffering that they're going to endure. So there's just three points I want to look at this morning in this portion that we have, and this is the first one, is that we can experience deep sorrow. We can experience deep sorrow. The Lord Jesus says, a little while, you will not see me. What Jesus is referring to is his death. Okay? And this death is going to bring about for them great grief. I think it's important for us to again remind ourselves that being a Christian doesn't immune us from experiencing deep sorrow. Jesus tells them in verse 20, he says, most assuredly, you will weep. You will lament. And you will be sorrowful. There is nothing unspiritual about feeling deep sorrow and grief at a time of a loss. There's nothing unspiritual about that. Now true, our grief, right, is different than that of the world. We read that in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. We have ultimate hope in Christ and yet, We still grieve, don't we? To use the Lord's analogy, which we're going to be referring to a lot today, right? The the prospect of the birth of a child, right, does not make a woman's labor pains any less. She still has to go through it and experience it. Isaiah describes our Lord Jesus as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So it is not ungodly to grieve. We can experience deep sorrow. And the disciples were about to. And the Lord Jesus was preparing them for this. But the second thing I'd like to mention is that we can, or I mean, I'm sorry, what can effectuate deep sorrow? Right? What can effectuate deep sorrow? Because there Sorrow is caused by several different factors, isn't it? And we see some of them here even in this context. One is this. Sorrow can stem from disappointment when something doesn't go as we had expected. Sorrow can stem from disappointment when something doesn't go as we had expected. In Luke chapter 24, verse 21, The men walking on the road to Emmaus, walking away from Jerusalem, illustrate, I think, even what the disciples were going to experience, right? What do they say when they're talking with the Lord Jesus, not realizing it was Him? They said this, they said, But we were hoping that it was He who was going to redeem Israel. Upon seeing the Lord Jesus die on that cross, right? the disciples must have been so disappointed. So disappointed. They thought he was the one who was to redeem Israel. They thought he was the one that was going to set up the kingdom. You know, in our own lives, right, when we have hoped and prayed and worked for something that you believe to be God's will, but it didn't happen, you experienced sorrow, didn't you? We've all had those moments where we're convinced. We think that this is God's will. And we believe it and we work towards it. And when it doesn't happen, it brings us grief. But not only that, sorrow can stem from disarray over something we can't explain. You know, these disciples, I'm sure they're pretty tired at this point. It's been a long night. And um, we read here that they don't understand what Jesus is saying to them, right? I mean, if Jesus says, hey, listen, in a little while, uh, you won't see me. They may may think to understand that it's okay. Jesus is going to die. He's told them many times that I'm going to Jerusalem to suffer and to die. But then he says, in a little while, you will see me. That probably was peculiar to them. They probably didn't understand that. Although, they may remember, I don't know, they may remember um, the widow's son in Nain, right? Who who Jesus raised from the dead. Or Jairus' daughter. Or even Lazarus, right? They'd seen people who were dead and Jesus raised back to dead, uh, back to life from the dead. But Jesus says, in a little while you will see me because I go to the Father. That part they probably didn't understand how that all fits in. And so... They say amongst each other, hey, listen, we don't understand what he's saying. Despite Jesus repeatedly telling them that he was going to Jerusalem to suffer and die, the disciples didn't get it. It's easy for us to get confused because we do not understand the totality of what God is doing in our lives. The reason is a lot of times we have our preconceived ideas about how things should turn out. And when they don't go that way, we're confused and sorrowful. One of the things that's interesting that I want to encourage us not to do is that the disciples here, they don't understand what Jesus is saying. But did you notice what they did? They didn't consult with him about it. They consulted with each other. In fact, the only reason that Jesus addresses it is because He knows what they're talking about. So we need to be careful that, uh, that we ourselves, right, that, that we, when there are things in our lives that bring deep sorrow and we don't understand, sometimes we just tend to not go to the Lord. <laughs> we, we, we keep it to ourselves or we maybe even consult with others without ever going to Him. I wonder how often do we actually do that when we're experiencing suffering, when we're experiencing grief. You know what's great here is in this picture though is Jesus knows, doesn't He? Right. Even though they're not asking Him, even though they're not consulting with Him, it says that He knows what that they desired to ask Him. I think it's just a tremendous encouragement. Again, is that when we are in disarray because some things are hard to explain, and we're confused, right? And we may not even remember (laughs) to consult the Lord. He knows. And not only does he know, but he's aware. Right? And he cares. But not only can sorrow stem from disappointment when something doesn't go as we had expected, or sorrow can stem from disarray over something we can't explain, sorrow can also stem from the disillusioned triumph of evil. Amazing to me, the Lord Jesus, I wonder what they thought when the Lord Jesus says, listen, most assuredly, I say to you, you will weep, you will lament, but the world will rejoice. Jesus is telling them that in this moment that they're going to be so sorrowful, they're going to be so, they're going to be grieving. He wants to listen, the world is going to be throwing a party. They're going to be laughing at it. They're going to be rejoicing over Jesus' death. You ever yourself noticed that people with perverted values seem to prevail, but the righteous suffer? <laughs> the psalmist saw that all the time, right? Over and over again in the psalm. Lord, why is it that the wicked, right, it seems like they're prevailing, it seems like they are triumphing and doing great, and here I am trying to do what's right, and I'm the one that's suffering. In our day even, right, we, when we see, you know, just some of this horrific evil of some extremists, right, who, who gloat over killing innocent men and women and children, right, we can't help but feel deep sorrow and feel grief. But it's just a disillusionment. They're going to have their day. <laughs> There's a day of reckoning coming. Vengeance is mine says the Lord. But here, again, imagine the disciples, how much sorrow it must have been, not just to see their Lord killed, right? Everything that they expected, gone, right? Everything they'd staked their future on was gone. They're confused. They don't understand what's going on. And yet, also, it seems as if everyone else thinks this is great. The world is rejoicing over the death of their Rabbi. And then, of course, we know that sorrow can also stem from just dwelling in a fallen earth. We live in a fallen world. And because of that, when others even sin against us, we suffer sadness and sorrow. But I want to remind us again this morning that being Christians doesn't insulate us from experiencing deep sorrow just as the lord jesus told his disciples most assuredly you will weep you will lament you will be sorrowful it's same with us some of you have already been through it some of you are going through it right now some of you it's yet to come but you will weep and you will lament and these are just some of the, the factors that sometimes lead to our sorrow. But the last point I want to make this morning is this, is that not only um, we can experience deep sorrow and what can effectuate deep sorrow, but we can actually enjoy deep sorrow. Which is an interesting thing to say. The Lord Jesus says in a little while you will not see me, referring to his death, which would bring about grief and sorrow. But then he says, in a little while, you will see me. And here, uh, it refers to the Lord Jesus' resurrection, which will bring about great joy. And there's two descriptions here of the joy that I want to bring up today. One is it's an irremovable joy. An irremovable joy, Again, I want you to try it if you can. Just try to put yourself in the disciple's shoes, right? As they experienced the passion of Christ, and they they went through that whole weekend of of deserting him and watching him go through the mockery and and the scourging and, and, and and dying on the cross. Then they probably went. They're a moment of scared. They're terrified. Right, They had left everything. They left their jobs and everything and, and, and forsook everything for him and now it's gone. They're confused. They don't understand. And then there's the day they see him. They see him again. In John chapter 20, it says, when the Lord Jesus had said this, he showed them his hands and his side and then the disciples Rejoiced when they saw the Lord. The disciples, right? What they found, right? Was that he wasn't a disembodied spirit. Death had not destroyed his body. In fact, no part of him was dead at all. He was totally alive as a complete human being. Death had been undone. His body had not been left behind, but it was resurrected. It was glorified. When they discovered this, right, it says that then they would not only rejoice, right, theirs would be a joy now that the world, by definition, could never take from them. Now, we of this century, right, we have never seen the risen Lord or touched His body. But as we bear our testimony to Christ in our generation, let us remember that an indispensable part of our gospel is that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, then to James, then to the Apostles. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, last of all, also to me. Guys, that is extremely important with, <laughs> when it comes to the gospel, is that Jesus Christ rose. To, to go back to that illustration that he has there, and again, I don't. everyone's experience is different, so I can only tell you about my experience, is my wife will tell you that the moment the baby comes out and they put her on her chest, she says it is the best feeling in the entire world. And In that moment, right, I don't know what that's like. Right? And no one can take that from her. And if you other mothers who have given birth to a child, you know what that's like. I think that's what it means, but it's an irremovable joy is that you went through all that and the end result was a child. And you know what that's like and no one can take that from you. No one. But not only... Is it an irremovable joy where the Lord Jesus, he says, he said, listen, in verse um, 22, right? Your joy, your heart will rejoice in your joy. No one will take from you. What those disciples experienced when they saw their Messiah after all that, right? No one could ever take that from them again. And we see that it was in the power of the the resurrection man that, that, that these men went off and went on to, no longer were they, didn't understand what was going on anymore. They understood now, right? And they were inspired and motivated to go on. Because they had experienced a joy, by definition, that the world, they had no idea. I, I have no idea what that joy is like to have a baby. I don't know what that's like. And the world doesn't know what it's like to have the joy that you and I have. And it's irremovable. No one can take that joy from you. No one. But not only that, but it's also irreplaceable joy. You see, what's amazing, what the Lord says here, is He says, you will sorrow, you will lament, you will weep, right? He says, but then, He says, you will, um, your sorrow will be turned into joy. Notice how the Lord doesn't replace their sorrow with joy. The Lord turns it into joy. That's amazing. We talk about things that are impossible for man, right? How do you take something that brought so much sorrow and pain and anguish and and weeping and turn it into joy? Not just say, hey, listen, let me get that out of here and I'll replace it with something joyful. He says, I'm going to take what you just went through and I'm going to turn it into joy. That's why it's an irreplaceable. You can't replace that sorrow. The Lord wants to take it and turn it and transform it into joy. You look at that illustration again, right? Is that after the baby is born, right? The mother is beaming with joy over the very thing that had just caused her such anguish. It's unreal. This, this, this child over the last who knows how many hours had given this woman pain and anguish over the last hour or so many from when she's pushing, right? She's extremely sorrowful and grieving and pain. And yet in that moment, that same child, that same thing that was given her all that anguish, now the mother is beaming with joy. I don't know if I'm allowed to share this, but I'm going to, is that, uh, and you might find this surprising, is that, especially my wife has delivered eight children, is that when she delivered Lydia, we weren't allowed to talk about another child for some time. Remember that, honey? And I I couldn't understand, I'm like, what are you talking about? This is wonderful, right? But listen, it's, uh, that anguish, that pain, that, it's real, it's real. Right. And, uh, it's interesting, right? That the, the Lord, uh, um, what does he say here? It says, because her hour has come, but as soon as she has given birth to the child, it may not necessarily be as soon as, right. There's certainly that joy as we just talked about, man, when they put that baby on you, she said that there's nothing that she can describe that feeling. Um, But what is amazing is that even though I could not talk about having another child for, what it was, a couple months or something like that. One month? One year. Okay, sorry. She said, I was not allowed to talk about it for one year. She still had seven more children. Like, we do forget. Like, and I think that's what the Lord is trying to say here too is, yes, that sorrow that you're going through right now, it seems painful. It seems like you're never going to get through it. But some of you can probably testify today, as you look back at those moments, you say, you know what? Yeah, I forgot how hard that was. Because the Lord took that now and turned it into joy. Right? To have seen their beloved Lord, right? The disciples beaten and bloodied, hanging on the cross, was the most horrible and shocking event of the disciples' lives. Again, the Lord says, you will be sorrowful, but I will turn your sorrow into joy. The reason for their sorrow, right, ultimately was, was the cross, right, as we just talked about. If you Picture that scene, right? Picture that scene of the cross where they see their Lord naked, bloodied, suffering. He can't breathe. He's dying. And ultimately, they, they watch him die. The Lord took that, right? And the amazing truth is that those disciples in all of their writings, they don't portray the cross in a depressing, mournful tone, do they? They actually portray the cross as something glorious and triumphant. In fact, the cross was the center of their apostolic preaching because it was the basis upon which God could forgive sins. God took something that was sorrowful and He turned it into joy. Let me prove it to you. These are some of the writings of these same men who watched their rabbi be tortured and killed on this cross. It says, This man who was handed over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you executed by nailing him to a cross at the hands of Gentiles. You killed the originator of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this fact we are witnesses. Let it be known to all, uh, to all of you and to all the people of Israel, by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, this man stands before you healthy. The God of our forefathers raised up Jesus, whom you seized and killed by hanging him on a tree. Paul even wrote this. Paul says, I glory only in the cross. If God can take a horrific event like that and turn it into something glorious, right? what can He do with whatever it is that you're going through right now. He can turn it into joy. A Russian countess, she accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as her Savior, and she was open about her testimony. The czar, which is like the supreme commander of the army, he was displeased with her, and he threw her into prison. After 24 hours, with the lowest level of Russian society In the most miserable conditions imaginable, he ordered her brought into his presence. He smiled sarcastically and said, well, are you ready now to renounce your silly faith and come back to the pleasures of the court? To his surprise, the countess smiled serenely and said, I have known more real joy in one day in prison with Jesus than I have known in a lifetime in the courts of the czar. Real joy. Real joy. And yet, the Lord Jesus, at this time, when he's telling them they don't understand, but they're going to. They're going to in just a few short days, they're going to understand what he's talking about. And for us as believers, we can understand what he's talking about. And so, just in conclusion, when experiencing deep sorrow, don't forget to consult with the Lord about it. In times of suffering, spend more time in God's Word. In times of suffering, spend more time in prayer. And if God can take the cross, right, an instrument of torture and death, something so horrible and shocking for His disciples, and turn it into something glorious and triumphant, He can take that area in your own life that is causing deep sorrow and turn it into joy. Brothers and sisters, we too have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. In this, right, it it is this that will give us the courage and the strength to endure whatever hostility the world throws to us. And so where does that joy come from? I'm just going to close with this thought here. It certainly does not come in unbelief, right? Voltaire was an infidel of the most pronounced type. And this is what he wrote. I wish I had never been born. And certainly joy is not found in pleasure. Lord Byron lived a life of pleasure, if anyone did. And this is what he wrote. The worm, the canker, and grief are mine alone. Joy cannot be found in money. Jay Gold, the American millionaire, had plenty of that. When dying, he said, I suppose I am the most miserable man on earth. Joy is not found in position and fame. Lord Beaconsfield enjoyed more than this share of both, and he wrote, Youth is a mistake, manhood a struggle, old age a regret. Not in military glory. Alexander the Great conquered the known world in his day. Having done so, he wept in his tent because he said there are no more worlds to conquer. Where is real joy found? The answer is simple. In Christ alone. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge and we claim this morning as your church that real joy is found in you and you alone. And so I would pray for each of my brothers and sisters here. Some are really experiencing some grief, some deep sorrow. Some are enduring suffering. Lord Jesus, may your words to your disciples so long ago be an encouragement to their hearts this morning. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you that you can take our sorrow and turn it into joy. We're thankful that even though we can't see you right now, in a little while we'll see you again. And that joy no one can take from us. Thank you for encouraging us this morning. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.